Instead of saying that Mary Magdalene and Mary and Salome returned from the tomb and told no one, I might have instead said they told no one else. After all, they had each other and they had their own hearts in those early days in the private rooms and inner contemplation, they surely told and retold. All of the texts, all of those different versions describe Mary Magdalene in tears after all, often with a reprimand by a male stranger. Why are you crying? My colleague Robin Bartlett imagines they must have left out the part of the story where she responds, why aren't you? Clearly, Mary Magdalene was not prone to emotional repression. So she and those other women surely turned that story around over and over in their minds, told it to each other again and again, all the while beginning to understand more what they had experienced. It's a phenomenon known as the self-explanation effect. See, as we tell stories to ourselves and to each other, even when in that process, we aren't even getting any new information, we learn. In trying to explain the sequence of first this, then this, now this, we start to see the gaps in our own story, the pieces that pain or trauma keep us from knowing, the parts we've held at bay because we just aren't ready, and the ways that pain can distort our understanding and cause us to create a more cohesive narrative than what's actually there. It's one of the dangers of the human desire for story. The more uncertainty or disorientation we're feeling, the more likely we are to find patterns where there are none. It helps explain the attraction of QAnon, right? And other conspiracy theories today. This time of incredible uncertainty and disorientation we long for a story that could pull everything together and give an explanation, even if that story is not true. This danger is why we always need to seek out other ways of seeing. There are so many ways always to tell a story. As with all of our stories this morning, you can see them on the screen, all the different stories present. And yet still we know so many are underrepresented there. Stories of immigrants, stories of those in prison, stories of those without homes, stories that are contradictory and complicated, story of stories of messy human realities that are not at all easily told in three sentences on a Sunday morning. We need to move from our individual stories into that collective space, asking again and again, what story may have been suppressed? What others have been amplified? And then refusing to flatten any of the diverse experiences in the ways of monoculturalism or white supremacy. One of my favorite things about Christian scripture is the way that it refuses to resolve its own contradictions and instead allows the different versions to sit alongside each other. 
as the story was told and retold across individuals and then held in community, we find ourselves now with four Gospels, plus the accounts from Paul. Even Mark was given an update after some time, adding in stories, adding in the lines to explain the ways that that story traveled over time. Theologian Serene Jones describes the move from individual storytelling into collective practice as a process of moving from a place of individually experiencing grief, that sheer experience of loss, into the process of a communal expression of mourning, where we acknowledge the loss together. Jones says that it is in the collective experience of mourning where we can make sacred the pain so that the rest of our lives could be transformed by it. Individual and internalized grief locks you in an eternal presence, she says. But mourning in the context of community allows the possibility of a future. In the 70 years between Jesus's death and that first attempt to write the story down, something happened. As Peter Stenfels writes, somehow after Jesus was executed, his followers were galvanized from a baffled and cowering group into people whose message about a living Jesus and a coming kingdom preached at the risk of their lives, eventually changing an empire. No one knows how this happened. But we can imagine it might have something to do with the ways that they kept telling the story. Turning it around and around, turning grief into mourning, they came to understand that the most important truth was that Jesus was not gone. He was somehow still with them. His compelling, transforming love still had a grip on them and on their lives. He was still shaking loose their fragile stories and setting their lives off in a new track. And what they came to understand was that from that this was the story that they needed to live from the story they needed to bring back to the very world that had tried to defeat Jesus and his message. A story of endurance, a story of love having the final word, a story of healing and hope and repentance. I'm guessing that wasn't the word you thought I would end that sentence with, repentance. At its root, Repentance, that's something that Jesus calls often for in scripture, simply means stopping in your tracks and turning in a different direction, setting your life off in a different course. It is the shattered story that is rebuilt in surprising ways, held in community and courageous love. At this threshold moment, in the still unresolved dark, we too must tell the story, not just one time, but over and over again, the story of our year, the story of our country, the story of our lives, stories of upheaval and harm and loss, stories of resilience and repair and rebirth, reckoning with truth in the greatest possible sense. That is the pain we've experienced and the pain we've caused the culture of death we've learned to survive, and the vision of life that still compels us to stop in our tracks and turn in a whole new direction, turning grief to mourning 
and turning us all towards the tough love that brings us into the light of a new day.